Morning, everyone. Um, you should be in chapter three of the Imperfect Disciple, and and this chapter that Mr. Wilson has written is very good. Chapter three. It's scriptural. It's practical. It's devotional in explaining how to recapture the glory of Jesus and how to set aside and be free from lesser glories that distract or enslave us, permitting us to walk as true disciples. Um, I remember one time, I think it was, I know it was John Piper, I remember once he said that sometimes as a pastor, your only sermon application is, behold your God. That's it. Just be transfixed by the glory of God. I'm done. No, we're finished. No. Um, <laughs> but that is really what chapter 3 is about. That's what Mr. Wilson is writing about. That's what we're talking about this week, is beholding, being transfixed by the glory of God. And this morning, uh, I'm going to take a little different angle on the chapter than he does, so that you don't just get the same thing repeated. Um, and we're going to consider one specific aspect of how we behold the glory of God and the power of beholding the glory of God. And, And that is that whether you're talking about the glory of God, the gospel, Jesus, the scripture, repeatedly and often returns to, and it is his light. The light of God, the light of Jesus, the light of the scripture, the light of the gospel. And, and the Bible uses these phrases and draws us to these conclusions interchangeably, and so will I. So when I say the light of God, I could say the light of the gospel. I could say the light of the person of Jesus Christ. I could be talking about the light of the word, the light of scripture. All of these things the Bible uses interchangeably and says that they are light and they are good and they are glorious for us to behold. And, and the light of God is the light of his word, which is the light of the person of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. And, and they're all one light, and they're shining into the life of disciples. And as disciples, as we're leaning into this idea of discipleship as a church together, we need the light of God in all those different forms that the Bible talks to us about it. And so that's your first takeaway right off the top, is that all of the aspects of the light of God are important to us as disciples to walk in that light, to behold that light, to be illuminated by that light. And that's what we're going to dig into this morning. And I'll just pray for myself and us as we begin. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would just um, give me the correct words to say, that I would not say anything amiss, Um, that as we hear the words, that your Holy Spirit would give them life, and that uh, coming from this, your word would be life and light and uh, would lead us into all good things for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need light. When we just stop and just think about light, we, we need light. If you want to hamper anyone's progress in whatever they're doing, the simplest method is to remove the light. Uh, in movies, when we're watching TV shows or Hollywood movies, we regularly see the Navy SEALs cutting the power to a building to confuse and hamper the terrorists before they turn on their night vision goggles. Like, we just instinctively know if we can put people in the dark, we have them at a disadvantage. Uh, our teens play manhunt in the dark so that they can hide wherever they're going and not be seen and keep whatever their activities are uh, in secret. 
And I'm sure in your own homes, there's either a table leg or an inevitable piece of Lego that you stub your toe on or step on in the middle of the night on your way to the washroom. Because in the darkness, we get into trouble. In the darkness, we just instinctively know darkness hampers us. Darkness hides us. Darkness cripples us. And we need light as disciples who are following Jesus. Without spiritual light, we miss the path. We lose sight of the one that we follow. We stub our toes. We get confused. We step on whatever the spiritual equivalent of Lego is in the darkness. And and the darkness is also the place as disciples where we try to hide, where we hide what we don't want anyone else to find, where we think we're actually hiding things from God, which is kind of funny to think about. He knows everything you know and more. But it's in the light as disciples that we discover that that's where we need to walk. We discover the light God knows that we need in Jesus Christ and the gospel. And the disciple John begins his gospel this way. He says, Jesus is the light. John 1, 1 to 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as disciples, we need the light. And what the Bible tells us is, good news, Jesus is the light. That's where we start, right off the bat. He's the light. We need light, and Jesus is the light. C.S. Lewis, a writer who had a very long, slow, deliberate walk towards faith in Jesus, captures the important reality that the Bible paints of Jesus as the light and of our life and understanding by describing his resulting faith this way. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's a great picture of Jesus being the light. Not only do we believe in Jesus because we see him, but it is by Jesus and through Jesus and through the gospel and through the scripture and through the light of the wisdom of the glory of God that we see everything else properly in our life. And so this morning we're going to consider just four realities of the light of God that has dawned on us in Jesus Christ and his gospel. The light of Jesus, first of all, dims every other glory. Secondly, the light of Jesus exposes every sin. Thirdly, the light of Jesus dissolves every shame. And fourthly, the light of Jesus is to fill every disciple. We'll look at these four things. First of all, the the light of Jesus dims every lesser and false glory. And I won't spend a lot of time here, as this is where Mr. Wilson in our book spends much of his time in chapter 3. But from cover to cover... The Bible is consistent in this particular theme. God, as God, must be and is the most glorious being in existence. If there was something more glorious than God, then that would be God. And so God, through Jesus, in our case, pales every other glory in comparison. As creatures created with our eyes on creation, we are almost always looking for glory in the wrong place. We are captivated by spectacle and by greatness and by emotion or by beauty. And those are not necessarily bad things. 
But God is the most spectacular. God is the greatest. God is the most satisfying. And God is the most beautiful. God is the most glorious of anything we can encounter. He is the glory that our hearts seek. And yet we far too often are content with lesser glories, even as disciples. I'll risk one more C.S. Lewis quote in this regard. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And this is what you'll be looking at specifically in your uh, chapter and in your life groups this week is the idea that the light of the glory of Jesus is meant to captivate us and it dims every other glory. And we should never, as disciples, be satisfied with lesser glories. Anything this world has to offer pales in comparison to the light and the glory that we can behold in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, you will become what it is that you behold. You become what you are transfixed on. If you transfix the sight of your life on power or wealth or sex or even your family or career or education or experiences, then you will be forever, those things will forever be the limit of your joy and your satisfaction. You will never rise beyond what you transfix your eyes upon in this life. Only the glory of Jesus and his gospel lifts our eyes from the created to the creator and has the power to transform us into something that it is impossible for anything in this world to imagine. And so we need the light of Jesus to be bright in our life so that lesser glories pale by comparison and we are transfixed by the one who we were made for. And that light of Jesus rises in our life. And as that light of Jesus rises in our life, there's another important outcome. Not only does the light of Jesus pale all other glories, what starts to happen because all of the glories of this world become dim is that the light of Jesus then exposes every sin. We can't see the lie of sin until the light of the gospel reveals it. We need the light of God, of Jesus, of the word, of the scripture, and of the spirit to expose the darkness of sin. The Apostle Paul picks up on this metaphor and he writes to the people of Ephesus. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And so as disciples, as we're considering how we walk in the light of Jesus Christ, the light of the gospel and the light of the scriptures and the light of the Holy Spirit as it shines into our life is meant not only to pale the lesser glories of this world, but to expose the sin in the world and in our own life. The light of Jesus shines out from the Word of God to expose what is dark and what is sinful. Until it's exposed by the light of Scripture and the knowledge of Jesus, we don't see it. This is what it's hard for us sometimes to understand, is we cannot see our own sin until the Bible and the Gospel and Jesus and the Spirit expose it. There's a lot of times, most often when we're reflecting on the culture around us or the politics of our day, that I have to remind myself of this reality. 
Sinners don't see sin. And the sinful remnants of our own flesh won't see it either. And as Christians, we often get very emotional and worked up about government policies or unjust laws or school board decisions or new curriculum because we can see the sinful motives and the sin in it. And we get, you know, very concerned by these things. But I have to remind myself when I start to get worked up and get really agitated about how sinful things are in our culture, I have to remind myself that they don't see it. They, they can't see it. They're in the dark. They think they're doing something good and beautiful. Sinners are going to sin, the Bible says. Don't be surprised by it. We can be grieved by the sin. We can work to minimize its harm. We can guard ourselves against it. But as Christians, we should never be surprised that sinners sin. Because Paul says you don't see in the darkness. You don't know. He says if our gospel, in 2 Corinthians, he says if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled because it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So, of course, they don't see it. But before we get too prideful about the clarity of our own vision, it happens in our own hearts, too. The sinful remnants of our old nature, even as disciples of Christ, keep rising up to cast shadows and to blind us. I wish I could say that when I came to know Jesus, or you came to know him, that we instantly embraced all of the light of his person and gospel, but we didn't all at once. The New Testament tells us that we are being transformed. The scriptures tell us that we are working out our salvation. Paul calls us to run the race with endurance, because we are following Jesus. As we talked about in the opening message of this series, this is a process. We did not come to know Jesus, and suddenly the light of his knowledge just flooded us perfectly, and we understand everything about ourselves and our sin. In other words, it's a process. Discipleship is a process of continually allowing the light of Scripture and the gospel to shine in order to expose what is hidden, that we keep hidden as disciples of Jesus Christ even from ourselves. Like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, we loved what we saw in Jesus, but we still clung to our old flesh. And this is what the darkness of sin does. It lies to us. It obscures our thoughts and our hearts, even as Christians. If we've kept the light of Jesus away from certain areas of our life, then we will sometimes carry our own personal sin around our neck like a treasured jewel. This is how the darkness works in relation to our sin. It's almost like that creature Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, right? We fondle that jewel in the dark, and we think that jewel is so precious to us. And we stroke it, and we take satisfaction in the smooth surfaces of it. And we imagine that that sin in our life glitters, and it helps us. But then when the light of the Scripture and the knowledge of Jesus suddenly shines on that sinful jewel that we thought was so beautiful, we discover all along that it was not a gem that we treasured in the dark, but it was a scorpion, that is meant to destroy us. Or as Gollum discovered, the very thing he thought would save him was consuming his body and poisoning his mind. I think Tolkien knew something about the deception of sin when he wrote that story. And this is what the light of Jesus Christ for disciples is meant to do. It's meant to shine into the darkness of every corner of our life to expose the sin so that we can see sin for what it truly is. We need the light of the glory of Christ revealed in his word. Thirdly, the light of Jesus not only exposes and reveals every sin, the light of Jesus dissolves every shame. We cannot heal the wounds of shame until they are illuminated by the light of the gospel. 
As disciples, we, we need the light of Jesus and the glory of his person to dissolve the shame of our own sin or the shame of being sinned against. Every person, every disciple of Christ carries a burden of shame. Shame of what we have done. Shame of what might have been done to us. Jesus went to the cross not only to carry the price of our sin, but to eliminate the need for our shame. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, and that for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus says, this is a shameful thing I'm doing. I'm doing this shameful thing to take all your shame away, your sin and your shame. The light of the glory of the work of Jesus on the cross in this regard is like the bright lights of a surgical suite. We will never experience healing and restoration and restoring until we get our shame out into the light to be properly healed, to be worked on by Jesus and by his gospel. The prophet Malachi paints a beautiful picture of the coming of Jesus as a son, an S-U-N son, a sun rising, a healing sun, whose corona and whose rays bring healing to all that behold that rising sun, healing that sets us free. Malachi 4.2 says, but for you who fear my name, so now he's talking to disciples, for you who fear my name, The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go forth out, leaping like calves from the stall. And so the light of Jesus is meant to have this effect on those who behold it, who allow it to rise in their life, who who drag their old shames out of the shadows and into the light where they can be healed. And if you allow the light of Jesus Christ and you allow the light of the gospel to shine into those shameful parts of your past, then he says there will be healing. You can go out from that day of that light shining, leaping and dancing like a calf from the stall when you realize you get out into the pasture under the sun and that calf is leaping and running and tearing around because it never knew anything except the darkness of the barn stall. And finally, after a week or two weeks or whenever calves kind of get their legs, they come out of the barn and they realize, this is what I have? That's the picture that the prophet Malachi is trying to paint. He's saying, as you allow the light of the sun of healing to rise in your life as a disciple, you will come out of the stall, you will come out of the barn, and you will realize there's healing and there's running and there's leaping in the light of the gospel, in the light of the forgiving presence of Jesus. There is no place for shame in the presence of Jesus. The prophet Zechariah communicates the most incredible message from the Father in this regard. Zechariah 3, 1 to 5, he's talking about the high priest, Joshua. It's a vision that he gives this prophet. He says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, the accuser, standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. 
This is God's answer to our shame. This is what happens when we allow the light of the person of Jesus Christ and the light of the gospel to shine in our life and take our shame away. Satan comes along in our mind, in the mouths of others. The accuser comes along and says, you are filthy, you should be full of shame, you have no right to stand in the presence of God. And God says, nope. New clothes, new turban, top to bottom, clean. That is the power of the glory of God. That is the power of the glory of the gospel. God says, here's what is true. You take off those filthy rags and you put on clean garments, the ones that I've chosen for you. You do not need to be ashamed in my presence. So the light of the glory of Jesus, the light of the glory of the gospel, pales every other glory that could possibly captivate us in this life. It exposes, as disciples, the sin that needs to be exposed so that we are set free from it. The light of Jesus and the gospel is healing. It is the place to bring all of our shame so that it can be put under the light of the gospel to be, to be healed. And we realize we no longer need be ashamed of who we were or what we may have done or what may have been done to us. And then finally, the light of Jesus fills every disciple, every corner and cranny. We shine the light of Jesus and the gospel and the glory of God into every part of ourselves and every part of our life. The light of the glory of Jesus and his gospel do all these things that I've talked about, pale other glories, expose every sin, dissolve every shame, the light of the glory of Jesus and his gospel, they, it does all of those things because the light has filled every corner of our lives. This is very practical. If, if as a disciple you are struggling to treasure Jesus as the greatest glory, if you are stumbling in your attempts to overcome sin, if you are held captive still by old shames, I can tell you it is because you are not letting the light of Jesus and the gospel into those particular areas of your life. Because they cannot withstand the light of Jesus. The attitude of a disciple towards the light of Scripture and the truth of the gospel and the person of Jesus is to shine that light everywhere at all times in every corner of our life. We expose our love life to the light of Christ. We expose our finances to the light of the gospel. Our friendships, our entertainment choices, our consumption habits, our temperament, our words, our thoughts, our reactions, our politics, our job, our education. Every part of a disciple's life is meant to have the light of the glory of the person of Jesus Christ and his gospel and the word of God shown into that corner of every part of our life. Jesus, talking about his own gospel here, says it this way in Luke 11. He says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see it. Your eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Here's the important application. He says, Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Jesus is saying, You have my light, disciples. Why do you have my light in the cellar of your life? Why do you have it down in the basement where it's not helping where other people can't see it. If you have my light in your life, disciples, you need to put it up in the middle of the house where everybody can see it. 
But notice the application. It's not evangelistic. Jesus isn't saying, let your light shine so that everybody comes to know Jesus through you. Yes, our light is evangelistic, but that's not his application. What he's saying is here, he says, put that lamp, put that light in the center of your house and let it illuminate everything so that your whole body is full of light and you can have no part of darkness. That's why we're not content with a candle in our basement as disciples, because the whole house of our life, the bedroom, the kitchen, the bathroom, the rec room, the living room, the attic, the pantry, all of it needs to be illuminated by the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ. That is when all other glories will dim. That is when all sins will be exposed. That is when every shame can be healed. When disciples, as disciples, we've allowed the light of Jesus and the word to shine everywhere. But oh, so many times we do not want the light of Jesus or his word shining in certain corners of our heart. We think we're just going to keep this to ourselves over here, or this is too embarrassing, or this is too shameful, or I can't believe I did that, or I can't believe this happened to me, or I like this and I just want to keep it over here in one little corner. So Jesus, you can have your light on Sunday morning and your candle will shine bright for three hours on Sunday morning, but I need this little piece of darkness over here for me. But that is not how the glory of God works. He comes into our life and he says, the light must shine everywhere so that sin is exposed, so that shame is dissolved, so that everything else in your life pales by comparison and you follow the light of Jesus. Well, in conclusion, what are some ways that the light of Jesus and the gospel do all these things? How how does it operate in our life as disciples when we as disciples allow this light to shine? Well, let me just give you a few examples. It, It begins to operate this way in your life. This is what starts to happen, not just subconsciously, not just in the background, but consciously. This is, this is how we start to change. The darkness says, these lesser glories will satisfy. You will be happy. You will be content with these earthly things. Look at this. Look at this. Watch this. Consider this. The darkness tries to convince us that these lesser glories will satisfy. But as we immerse ourselves in the gospel and in the presence of Jesus, the gospel says you have a better glory to behold. You have a greater glory. And these lesser glories ultimately made nothing, and they will let you down. The darkness says you were born this way. Your desires define you. You must pursue happiness by pursuing your desire, and to frustrate your desire is to frustrate your happiness. You were born a certain way, and you have to follow that. The gospel says you're not a slave to your sin, and your sin does not count against you anymore. It is as far as the east is from the west. It is tied up in a sack, and it is thrown into the ocean. Darkness says you are no longer enslaved to your desires, but you are set free for something greater. Darkness says you are a product of your past actions and disgrace. And the gospel says your identity is no longer in what you have done or what has been done to you in the past, and God will never bring that before you or see you in that way. He has clothed you in light. But darkness will try to say you are trapped in that past. You are trapped by what you've done. You are trapped by what's been done to you. And the gospel says, no, that's not your identity. Your identity is one of righteousness before God in Jesus Christ. Or the darkness tries to say that the gospel way is weak and foolish. The gospel works for Sunday mornings, but it's no help in your real-life struggles. 
That's what the darkness tries to say. But the gospel says this is wisdom for every part of your life, and no part of your life remains untouched. Every part of your life before Jesus was corrupted by sin and fallen in some way, and now every part of your life can be cleansed and set free for wisdom and courage and goodness and righteousness. There is no part of your life that the light of the Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ doesn't impact. Darkness says you will never measure up or qualify as righteous, and the gospel says you have the power of the Holy Spirit to work out your salvation. It's God who wills and works in you, and what he's started, he's faithful to complete, and your righteousness is guarded in heaven. So darkness, as disciples, we will, you just have to recognize very consciously that darkness will say things to you that are absolute lies and try to trap you in your old identity and your old life and your old foolishness and your old shame and your old sin. And the light of the gospel comes along and says, darkness says that, and I say something completely different. You're no longer enslaved to those things. You're no longer the product of your past actions. You're no longer identified by your sin or your shame. The gospel is the light that sets us free from the lies of the darkness. So during this season of discipleship that we're leaning into in these next few weeks, these fundamental truths of what it means to walk as true disciples, as victorious Christians who are growing more mature, who are walking more strongly in the path of righteousness and are increasingly putting on the image of Christ and are leaving the darkness behind and stepping into the light, these are the truths that we need to constantly be dwelling on. So let's pray together even this week that the light of the word of God, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus and the glory of God the Father would shine in our life by his spirit and that we would walk rightly before him. This is what scripture, the gospel, Jesus, God is to us as glory. We fix our eyes on him and his light illuminates every part of our life as disciples. Let's pray. Father God, Sometimes your word, sometimes our time with you, sometimes even Jesus himself is just, I don't know, a nightlight that's in the drawer beside our bed. (laughs) And for whatever reason, we think we are going to walk the Christian walk by our own wisdom or by our own power, or we think that we can live in darkness and then walk in light on Sunday morning. And so, Lord, I just pray that this picture that you have given us in Scripture, that You are the light, and that it's by your light that we see everything else, and that your light is to penetrate every corner of our being, and that your light exposes every sin, and it dissolves every shame, that it's by your light that we walk, so that as disciples this week, we would shine your light every day in our life. Whether that's reading the word, whether that's coming to you in prayer, whether that's getting together in our life groups, whether that's just, as Piper said, just behold the glory of God. Father, we can't live apart from the light. And so I pray that we would take this to heart as your disciples, that we would no longer want to walk in darkness, but we would seek after and treasure the light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.